1: It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present Hardcore Listing, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Hardcore Listing podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, I'm Stu Whiffin. Sitting opposite me via the means of Zoom in lockdown is... The better host, Christopher William Albert Glasson. You've added uh, another middle name there. I've not heard that one before. He's Albert. He's just freestyling now. Just freestyling. All so. right. Oh, right. Okay.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, so
1: we've, um, we've got a guest today, um, and that guest is a fellow podcaster. Um, well, welcome, Hattie Savari. Hello.
4: Thank you. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello, she. Thank you very Hi, much Hattie. for having me. Oh, so,
1: pleasure. So we've met before. It's the first time that Chris and, and, and Hattie have met, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've been helping Hattie uh, with her podcast, and I and I'll let you uh, Hattie introduce your podcast and sort of what it's about before we get on to your top five today.
4: Sure, um, get legally speaking. So, in a nutshell, it's a free legal consumer podcast that gives legal conversation in everyday language. Simple as that. Nothing like it exists. It's a legal conversation between me and barristers and QCs and judges, so the top of the food chain, and it's meant for Joe Public to be able to tap into and listen to all different areas of law um, at no cost and hopefully um, have lots of takeaways from it.
3: Wow. That's, that must be really handy. And How many, how many episodes are you, are you in so far, Hattie? How many have you recorded?
4: 35, I believe.
3: Incredible.
1: It it was um, Hattie reached out uh, to Pop Bible, and and it was something that when we was having a sort of chat about it, and and she was explaining what what the kind of podcast was about. It just, I mean, obviously I get hit up with lots of people with podcasts now through the magazine, but this just kind of jumped at me that I thought there is such it applies to everyone everybody is either at some point in their life going to have a, a you know an employment dispute you know that divorce is very very common there you know so many of these things you know are, are, and the fact that there's ahead of going to speak to somebody that could potentially cost you a lot of money you can just go there a little bit more prepared you can have more of an insight you know I, I'm correct in, in saying that that's pretty much the, yeah. I- the idea of it isn't it and, and it, not to get
4: I mean, Stu, you know, people don't realise, I think, how much the law is involved in their everyday lives. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, when there's a contentious matter. You know, you go to buy something. It's happened to most of us. We bought something in a shop and it doesn't work or you're not happy with it and you're told, by the shop, what what you can do and what you can't do. Well, that's, you know, simple things like that. That's not actually true because the law will govern what you can or cannot do. But businesses get away with saying, sorry, we've got to, 14-day um, refund policy or we don't have any refund policy. Your money has to stay with our business, even though you're not happy with the goods or it, they don't work. Um, and, you know, you take that example and then you go into property. Most of us will sign a tenancy agreement or buy a house or maybe go and invest something with somebody. Or there's people doing podcasts like we are or creating content and they don't actually understand the value of protecting their work. Um, and lawyers, and particularly barristers, I mean, you know, it costs a lot of money to get good advice and get good help. So this is intended to basically say to everyone, look, you can have a really basic knowledge, and as the episodes go on, we will get more into detail on each area of law, because there will be people out there who perhaps are quite advanced in their knowledge, even mm. as a layperson and an everyday person. But just listen to 20, 25 minutes of what actually we can give you as a takeaway. Um, and you'd be amazed. And one of the most amazing podcasts for me was the motoring law, where the conception of myth is that when you have 12 points, you lose your licence. Well, well, yeah, well, well, listen to the, listen to the podcast, wow. Chris, because you <laughs> might think differently after. We might know Can, can I just say after. I
3: haven't racked up 12 points yet?
4: Well, I was <laughs> going to say, dangerous driver, there he is. <laughs> Only joke.
1: I bet you ain't far off from that, Chris.
3: Shoot, I've had uh, uh, like um, an awful run. Like I've had a clean record for years, and then um, I've just picked up um, six points in within the space of three months of each other, and I'm just devastated by it. Do you know what? Easily it's, it's, done. It's, yeah. What? One of them was, I'd say, carelessness on my behalf. And I'm not. I, when 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 I got flashed, and I was like, I, I absolutely, I, I was a bit ashamed of myself, really and uh but the, the um and it was just being you know you just lapse in concentration for a couple of seconds and and it really was that and uh, i got flashed and i was like i deserve that it was my fault and then the other one was uh you know in large motorways and they then they reduced down the mo- uh, the, the roadworks and i i think they tagged me at yeah i think they tagged me at 54 in a 50 which i thought if it's under 10% They're not Ah. going to
4: prosecute me for that. Do you know that it's down to the discretion of the borough and the actual officer looking at the ticket and they think, how nice is that car? (laughs) <laughs> no they don't think that but <laughs> you know there there are um it, it's very interesting motor in law podcast is really interesting and our Brilliant. little promo video on it is really funky it's it, it, i know right. Stu, you thought it was okay yeah and um, the little promotional video that's only a minute long and right. they they help you understand well what can i expect to um, learn from this podcast what kind of information is on there so
3: there's those as well Oh, i'm, I'm gonna look forward to that and i guess th- that's the good thing is people can To start with, dip in and out. They'll see something that actually means a little to them and and the circumstances they're in, and then they might, you know, they'll start looking at the other areas they're less familiar with. Yeah, that's great. Nice one, Hattie. Okay. So your top five
1: today, Hattie, is? Books. Books that
4: I've read and I've enjoyed since, um, I feel really old saying it, but it's probably about 25, 26 years now.
1: (laughs) 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 And so these are specifically books that have had a profound impact on you.
4: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my books have sort of um, acted as my mentors in my life and they still do. So uh, when you asked me, what would you like to talk about in terms of a top five of something in your life? This was a category that I thought, do you know what? There's a wide range of stuff that I've read. I'm a, a bookworm. I would never have a Kindle Never, because I just love the feel of a book sure. and the pages and all of that. Now, that makes me sound even more older. <laughs> you can reveal my age. I'm over that now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah.
3: that's uh, Yeah, I, I love the feel, the feel and smell of books. And yeah. I, I, sh- I, I, I guess that makes me sound like a bit strange I, as well. I, I, but I, I don't know if it's nostalgia. I don't know if it's something that, because
1: I, I, I'm the same with vinyl. And it's like, because mm. I grew up with yeah, that, okay. and and obviously, yes, I can listen to Spotify, and yes, I do, but there's something about the process of picking up a record, pulling it out of its sleeve, looking at the sleeve, the same as it is with picking up a book, leafing through the pages, and, and feeling it, and the smell of it. And I, I do think, you know, maybe it's, it's a comfort thing as well.
3: It's tangible, isn't it? And mm. I think with technology, a lot of it isn't. So there's that, it almost feels a little more sterile when you're when you're interacting with it. And we're, sim- we're simple creatures still, aren't we? Let's be honest. Technology's so. whizzed along so quickly. And I think things that you can touch and feel in your hand... I don't know, they they, they have that element. There's an additional uh, dimension to what you're reading there when you've got that, I guess.
4: Chris, you sound like you're on the same wavelength as me now. I don't feel so old. Someone's relating to me about stuff that is not tangible because my 13-year-old doesn't want to know. It has to be digital for him on a screen somewhere.
1: (coughs) So... The first book you want to talk about, number five, Hattie?
4: Okay. Uh, the first, Well, I, my list, actually, I really struggled to get it down to five books because I really have been reading quite a lot. But my first book that I would say that had the most profound effect on me was Anne Frank's Diary. Um, and that book, I read it in 1990. I was around 14 at the time, so please don't do the math too quickly again. <laughs> Cause it starts to get worrying. Um, it was first actually published, I believe, in 1947 in Amsterdam. And I didn't realise at the time, when I was 14, that I was reading a book that had obviously been published so long ago, even though I understood the era of the sec- over the Second World War that it was about. So I read the 1976 version, for whatever it's worth. And I was born in 1976, so it kind of resonated. But that book, for me, really moved me. And it was it was so interesting, because it... Opened my mind to the fact that here was a young girl that was going through an immense amount of struggle. Um, And up until the last day of her life uh, during that horrid regime and while she was in hiding, she was probably one of the most positive people that I could have read about of that age and that resonated me because I was 14 you know going into teenagehood girl you think the whole world is on your shoulders in a way life is very complicated or can be we make it so I think looking back sometimes and that's why that book really stuck with me because I thought wow you know somebody who was going through such a horrid situation and still remained really positive and she gave me strength in a way as as a young teenage girl
1: have you have you been to Amsterdam? Have you been to the house?
4: No, I haven't. I haven't, and I do want to go. I it's do. Have you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we went uh, maybe three years ago, and okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 wonderful and harrowing, and yeah, it's everything you'd imagine it would be. You know, when you went, and yeah, it's 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 incredible. I I'd definitely
4: recommend it. Definitely, I definitely, it's on my it's on my to do list. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I, I
3: haven't read the book, and I haven't heard people describe it in that way, Hattie. And I think that's that's a, really cool that she's she was able to have that sort of mindset during yeah. that, and and then that puts everything we do into perspective, doesn't it? And as you say, I think in we always say first world problems, don't we? Some I, I, mm, I had I've a friend heard that before. A friend complaining that their socks were too tight or, you know, strange things like that. And you think, "What? what is that? That's not a thing.
4: <laughs> That's Why what if- I usually <laughs> say to my family, actually. <laughs> what is that? What noise are you making now? <laughs> <laughs> Just shut up.
3: Um, yeah, I, I, to, it puts things into perspective. We watched... Um, Twelve Years a Slave the other day, so we've been working oh, through all the movies we haven't that seen. That is
4: an amazing book. Amazing book. It's an amazing yeah. film. Yeah,
3: And it was that was a tough watch, you know, because of what's happening. And um, and me and my girlfriend, we were saying it's it's you know that can be somewhat an unpleasant watch. Certain some scenes in that that are really difficult. And uh, it's meant it's like, to be though, isn't it? It's of meant course, to be unpleasant. Course.
1: It's meant of to course. hammer home that that kind of you know why it's so. You yeah, know, harrowing.
3: Yeah, and I, it's like it, you know, all you have to do is watch that, you know, to to sort of get get an it's a understanding. Bit like Schindler's
4: List, isn't it? Yeah. When I watched Schindler's List, and it was many years ago, I, I literally was like, I was shocked, and that's probably what Twelve Years a Slave does as a yeah. film. It shocks you because we're so engaged, I think, in everyday life and in our business and in. Aiming for the next thing and trying to achieve the next thing, that you you for, it's easy to forget and not actually pick up on these things that are so real. They were so real,
3: yeah. For many Vis- people's lives certainly visceral and and books. I mean, do that. I, no matter how much I love film, I don't think uh, that my favourite books. When when I finish reading that and I complete the last chapter page, it leaves it's me in sad. a day. yeah. It leaves me in a daze. For for you know, it depends on how. Impactful it is. I, I can be in a days for days, basically, just mm. reflecting on what I read. So that's that's incredible with the Anne Frank's uh, stuff. I it's yeah. I I, I, I consider reading that. Definitely. From, yeah, I from
4: would. I would. It's it's a great read. I mean, most of the books that I've read, the good ones that really stick with me, I read more, more than once. And what I've always done is just a little quirky thing. I write the month and the year that I've read it. So some of my books that I've got, you'll open it, and it's got a little, like a little column of month and year. And every time I read them, I pick up something different. Yeah. I really do. Number do you four. not feel...
3: Oh, sorry, just a quick question. Go Do you, you not me. feel that books are precious, like you happy to write? Oh,
4: they are for me. I've had over 5,000 books, and yeah. I actually had to let go because I had nowhere to put them where I could mm. see them. Yeah. And I don't like storing them in a loft or in boxes. I just think that's an injustice. They're really what, they precious. they're not being read
3: then, are they? Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. But sorry, uh, let me rephrase the question. You're happy to write in your books and stuff like that? You don't want to yeah. preserve them? In-
4: oh, I write the month and the year that I've read them in the hope that somebody in my life somewhere down my food chain will pick it up and think, oh God, our great, great, great grandmother read one of these and look when she read <laughs> it and it'll be something that could go down in our family history in some really weird way. And I'll probably have a little wink up in heaven or wherever I'll be. I like that. i <laughs> <every little. laughs>
1: Um Wonderful. So number four. Yes, please.
4: Okay, Robert Kiyosaki. Have you heard of Robert Kiyosaki, either no. of you? Okay, this guy, um, wrote The Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh, wow. Right. You've probably heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, I've Dad, heard right? of
3: it. Yeah, I've heard it. I've even played his game, uh, the Board yes. Game, which I tried is incredible. To that. So I tried good.
4: To, yeah, I tried to play that many years ago, but I couldn't find anyone that was interested to play the game I'll, with me. I'll play it, Hattie. <laughs> it's right. a bloody
3: good game. It's a good game. And I yeah. actually, it actually um despite my background so i studied economics i've worked at the ombudsman for years and people always think oh that means you're good with numbers rah 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 and actually it, it doesn't always and it doesn't always mean that you're that careful with money and i played that game and i now have spreadsheets based on rich dad poor dad for well, my, my I cash flow say,
4: i i i have to say what you're saying is so spot on i think chris because you know in school you're not taught when you get a credit
0: Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
4: This is what it means. You do economics or you do accounts to some basic level, but you're not told two things, which I think is fundamental. One is how to manage your money. You're not taught that. That, that comes, I think, from your household. And even mm. then, you know, it, it's, it's not really taught because mum and dad are busy being mum and dad and doing what they're yeah. doing. And the second thing we're not taught is about the law. At yeah. school, you're not taught that. The basic things, the basic rules. So Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I picked out, I've read every single book he's written, and I picked out his Guide to Investing, uh, which I read in October 2003. He first published it in the US, actually, in 2000, um, and then in the UK he published it in 2003. And I just picked it up, and I can't actually remember exactly where I was, in what, which bookshop, because it would have been a bookshop. I wasn't buying anything online then. Mm-hmm. Um, And I remember reading it and I thought, my God, because Robert Kiyosaki was the man that created the Velcro wallet. You know, the Velcro sticky wallet. (laughs) So what happened to him is he became a multi-millionaire overnight because he created this wallet and his orders went, literally it was an overnight thing. And he went over to China and he said, I want however many million of these. And they said oh excellent we'll make those for you business good but within days the chinese realized where are these going and who what is this all about so what the chinese did was made another god knows however many million of these things and flooded the market with them and because he didn't protect his creation he thought well don't really need to i'm so busy i'm gonna be i'm a millionaire overnight again shortly after he created this velcro wallet he went bust lost it all wow so he went from zero to hero to zero in record time and this book that i read at a very young age for me again just thought wow that that's powerful because it just Mm. shows the power of um protecting something but that book was my first book about business about money about success about believing in yourself that you can actually make something successful if you don't come from money because I always grew up that actually in my culture if you don't if you're not born into money and your parents don't have lots of money and you don't have those opportunities of private schooling and everything else you're not really going to get anywhere that quickly it's going to be difficult you know it's not going to happen this book made me believe You can do it.
1: Yeah. Incredible. So let's touch on your your story a little bit then, Hattie, um, because uh, for listeners, um, we we should point out that you're on a law firm.
4: Yes. Red Bar Law. Yep.
1: And so and so how did that journey start? And
4: do you know what? Um, It's really interesting you asked you because I'm not a lawyer. But I'm regulated by the SRA, the Solicitors Regulation Authority, and I had to become qualified to be to be regulated by them. So, very, very, very many years ago, again, I went through a divorce, and I did not understand the process with my legal team. Um, it cost me so much money that it literally took me about ten years to pay off for the legal fees. That was. Um, and it was horrid. It was a horrid process. And I vowed after that process, and that process took me three years to get out of, that one day I would, I would do this better. Yeah. I would own a law firm and I would deliver legal services in a way where, A, people, would ha- people should have the opportunity to understand, how much is this going to cost? That's called fixed fee. Many, many law firms don't do it because they bill you by the hour. And it's the only profession you'll go into, you'll ask for the work to be done, and you will not have a clue what it's going to cost you until you come out the other side. You you wouldn't do that with anything else. You don't even go to a restaurant and order food unless you know what it's going to cost you. You don't go and get your car serviced. And actually, even when you're getting your car serviced, the the mechanic will probably call you up and say, sorry, but there's something unexpected. And this is what it's going to cost. Would you like us to go ahead with that? Even accountancy, you know what it's going to cost you. The legal world have gotten away with not doing that with people. So I wanted to change that. I thought, no, fixed fee. The second thing I wanted to do was make sure that people understood, really understood what was going on in their legal matter on their level. They don't need to know the legal and technical jargon. They don't need to understand the acts of law. They need to understand, well, what what does this mean? Is it commercially viable for me to go ahead with this claim? If I'm gonna try and spend 20 pounds on legal fees to try and get 50 pounds, is that viable for me to do that? So I set up a law firm, an ABS, Alternative Business Structure Law Firm, which basically the law changed in 2011. Um, And I was the first non-lawyer to become regulated by the SRS to own and run a law firm. And that's what we do. I want to, through my law firm, we try and empower people to understand what it is they're getting involved in from the beginning, because then they can make better informed choices and also run the fixed fee model. This is what it's going to cost for this piece of work. Do you wish to proceed? Yes or no? Have that choice.
3: That's that's incredible because I think <clears throat> it it keeps your business sharp. So you have to you, you've already you've already said what the fee is going to be, which is nice and transparent. But it also means that you have to make sure you stick to that. So you have to work hard and make sure that you can sort of like deliver that. Because if you if you come up short with your with your work, people will be like, "It's a fixed fee, but it's not worth it." But if it's a fixed fee and actually you're helping deliver that service to people, it's 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 really good.
4: Well, people yeah. know what they're getting, Chris, and yeah. that's got to be right. And then they actually think, "Do I want to do this?" Because you know, that's that's now I know what it's what it's going to cost. Whereas if you don't know what Is it's it going it? to cost, yeah, I mean. I remember when I went to get a quotation for my divorce from a firm that was recommended to me to use, they said, Oh, it's going to cost between five and 7,000 pounds. And I thought, Whoa, that's a lot of money. You know, you're talking 14, 15 years ago. um, And it cost almost 10 times that.
3: Mm. It's brutal. Wow. And especially like in my, I've, I've had some, uh, not a lot, a lot of um, need for legal assistance, but my friends have. And then when they say, and, and then this letter just cost X amount. And then they feel that there's no logic in why the solicitor did it in that order. And, and I guess there's no real impetus for that solicitor to, to do it always in the correct order. Because to be a bit, to do it in an odd sort of roundabout way can actually mean they get paid more because they're well, just dragging this it is out. the
4: other thing. My law firm hires barristers from day one. Whether you've got a contentious matter, whether you haven't got a contentious matter, there's no real fight. Because barristers, in my opinion, they, well, and in fact, they are the highest legal opinion you can get. So I don't hire solicitors to work for me and bill by the hour. And we don't go backward and forward with the other side because that costs your, like your friends, Mm. a lot of money. We bring barristers in from day one because we want that highest legal opinion. The strategy is there. And again, everything is fixed fee. Saves money and time. Well, if you
3: take, if you know what the, uh, so I, I mentioned I worked at the ombudsman and 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 so I did that for years and I used to work. Which work ombudsman on, did you work with, Chris? The financial ombudsman, right? And, okay. And so, you, if you know what the end result has to be, because you've spoken to the people who are the most senior, then you kind of can backward reverse engineer how this how that journey needs to be for your client, and then exactly. therefore how much money it's going to cost.
4: Exactly. And you get the strategy from the beginning because what a lot of law firms fall short of, and this is what I've seen on the other side, I've never lost a case in eight years. In eight years of having a firm, we've not lost a case because you've got to do your homework and you've got to get your strategy right, is they go to the barrister so late that that barrister has already had so much work done that they can't undo. They can't undo it and do it in a way which maybe would have been a better way to do it in.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Another
4: book. Very cool. Yes, another book. Okay, so I'm going to talk about um, two books in one here, only because the Robert Kiyosaki book got me into the mindset of you can make yourself successful no matter what your background is. So Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Now, this book was actually first published in 1937. I read the revised version in 2004. Um, uh, Sorry, 1937, I read the revised version, yes, in 2004, Um, And what this book does, which I found so interesting, is this man, Napoleon Hill, went and interviewed 500 of the most affluent men and women of his time. And that was between 1883 and 1970. And he took the most common denominators of those people to see what makes them successful.
3: Yeah.
4: So 500 really top, hot shot people. And I'm talking about people... And I, because I define success as success in your work life and in your home life. I think success in one or the other is great, but true success is when you've got the, both the home life and your work life sewn up. And he wrote this book. Um, and that made me realize that even though I hadn't had, oh no, I didn't have children in 2004, it made me realize that, look, I do want to have a family, I do want to have children, but. I see my mum going out and working most weeks, seven days a week. And, you know, she works in a labour intensive job and, you know, I don't have enough time with my mum. So I want to spend time with my children, but then I want to work hard and fast. But this book made me realise actually that you can have success both at home and at work. And also those key points of what made these 500 most affluent men and women successful. What were the key denominators there? So that, Again, started really getting my thought process going about what do I need to think about? What kind of what kind of processes in life do I need to think about? What are the small things that I have to implement to be a successful person? And then the other book was The Power of the Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale, published in 1942. I read it in March 2006, the first time I read it, um, and again, that was the first book that really started to get me thinking about the power of our mind. Yeah. And I'm a massive believer in that Mm -hmm. because I think it it doesn't matter what you're doing, but your mind is the most, it's so important um, to your everyday life. And and it actually plays at least a 50% part in your well-being as well. So that started to get me thinking, wow, you know, here's the mind, which we don't actually work on often. Um, we don't sit there and work on our minds. But how do you work on your mind? What do you do to work on your mind and keep it healthy? You might exercise to keep your body healthy. You might drink less to keep your body healthy. You might eat well to keep your body healthy. What do we do to keep our minds healthy? And that's when that started for me, really.
3: I I think that's fascinating, Hattie. So um, I I think the, the, the mind is a muscle and you've got to exercise it or like muscles you'll get atrophy and also not only the mental health the mental health side of it as well you know you have to yeah, learn massive. how to how to actually keep your keep your mind in order up keep it keep it tidy and healthy and thinking in a in a positive mindset and i can't remember then so when she said what your selection was what you was going to write about the, the first you book thought No, that that this is rubbish, rubbish. <laughs> no only <is> joking. joking <laughs> we have one about favorite b movies and uh, <laughs> and um and the, the first book two books one was edward de bono which was lateral thinking and and, and he has changed my life for for the for the for the best. Who
4: was that, Chris? Edward
3: that. D- Edward DeBono, and it's and he basically. I, I would absolutely say, Hattie, if you're not familiar with Edward DeBono, I've just. I'm not. i not. have given you up. a present there, and knowing from what you've already said to me about who you are, you're going to go away and you're going to go. This is incredible, and I can't believe I've only come upon this now. But what what's the he's, name of his book? Edward DeBono. He's done so many. So, ones I would recommend for you would be Six Thinking Hats. And I would say lateral thinking. Um, and basically what, what, he, what he said is, you're welcome, is that we, we, we don't go to school no one trains us how to use the brain. So we get fed geography and all these other subjects. But actually, we're not shown how to use this as a tool. And what De Bono has done over the last... You know, he's he's, he's, he's he's getting on a bit now, um, but he's worked with all top businesses and across the world about how you how the brain actually works and how you can use it to solve problems and o- overcome obstacles. Lateral thinking is about not thinking, obviously, in a linear way to come to a solution. But in some ways, it's guesswork and experimenting. In other ways, it's just it's 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 randomising things to see where there's a solution and then backwards engineering that to where you start. So it's, it's incredible. But the other book I was going to say is um, Positive Thinking. I bought it for my mum because I think when I finished uni, I came home as more of an independent person and realised that my mum was quite sad and that she was... It becomes a self-fulfilling, a self-fulfilling prophecy. prophecy. Because, because she, she didn't think she, she could, could do things, things. She, wouldn't she wouldn't try, it. try it. and then and therefore... Her thought became the reality and everything starts as an idea, right? So I bought my mum a book on positive thinking and she hated it. She said it was all mumbo jumbo and whatnot. But for me, I read the book and that changed
4: me profoundly as well in in the same way. It's about the book clicking with you. When that author, when you read something and that author clicks with you, like a piece of music. And Stu, you'll probably get this. When you listen to a piece of music and it just lifts something in you, Mm. you get it. It works
3: for you. The Eureka moment, definitely. I
2: love yeah.
1: that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> where are we at? We've done three, haven't we? We've done three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. We've done three, but I, I snuck a cheeky little one in there. So, two. That's geez. all right. That's Everyone's welcome sorry. to an
1: honourable mention. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, number two.
4: Okay, so number two, um, I'm going to speak about Robin Sharma's books, and the one that I chose to mention today is the monk that sold his Ferrari. The monk who sold his Ferrari, published 2011. I read it in 2012. One of the probably, again, the biggest influences, single influences in my life, Robin Sharma. And I don't know if you guys have heard of him or not. Don't expect. I've heard you to. of him, but
3: I've not read. I've not read it. I've heard uh, of that book. that's as well. one for you, Chris. It. Robin
4: Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari. You have to read that book if you're a bookie bookie, and you're into sort of this genre. So Robin Sharma used to be a hotshot lawyer in America. He was the man to go to. He was, you know, really up there in terms of respected, uh, worked hard and everything like that. One day um, in the middle of his courtroom, he suffered a heart attack. And he was in a coma for a very long time. His body just gave up because he was drinking, eating. He was the fat cat lawyer that, you know, you see, you could probably imagine to see on the American films and things like that. And this is true. These are, you know, this is a, this is not a, this is not fiction. This is the man himself. He then decided um, he's going to sell everything, everything. And he's just going to go somewhere. And he didn't even know where he was going to go. And I mean everything, his house, his cars, his wealth, everything. And he just went. He just went and he and he went into the mountains in a district and he found some sacred monks that hadn't been found for many, 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 many years. And he decided that he was gonna be he was gonna bring back the teachings from these monks of how to live a better life, how what should matter, how to how to really implement well-being um to everyone and he wrote this book this was his first book and I have to sell you it is a cracker awesome. um so that 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 was a big influence in my life because you know growing up one of the things if you, I think if you're ambitious you think about having a nice car having a nice house having expensive uh branded Things, whether it's a watch or a bag or whatever it is, especially if you're aiming high, you you think, you know, up until that point, I think I connected um, happiness and money. I thought, well, the nicer my car, and I am an absolute car enthusiast, which surprises me why that wasn't my topic, but maybe next <laughs> time, eh? Because um, I've had 28 cars, I think, now, or um, I think, what, 20, 29 cars. Wow. Um, so... I thought well having that nice car and the best car and then going on the best holidays and having the best watches or doing this or doing that, that's what makes that's what makes you happy. And it was this reading, and I read that book back to back like twice that made me realise that or got me thinking as well, massively. No, it's not it's not really connected. Mm. For me, it's not that much connected. Um there's 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 gotta be a happiness somewhere inside that that you can scratch the surface of that's got nothing to do with how big your house is or how nice your car is or how much money you've got in the bank account. And that's when I, that that's why it was a big influencer, because it created that disconnection.
1: That 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 disconnection can form in, in, in other ways as well. I think like you know, we are a very materialistic um culture and and you know we're we we are constantly told that, you know, we need we need this car. We need this, yeah. these headphones. We need this laptop. We need this phone. And 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 it, you know, it's very difficult not to get pulled into that. And I'm as guilty as the next man for, for getting pulled into to bits and pieces it's like hard. that.
3: But I, I would say that you're you're not at all. I think you've got you listening listen to, to your, your story, story over, over the years, Joe. I, I think, think you've, you've added had stuff for, for quite, quite a long time, time really, mate. Yeah. The only time I see you frivolously frivolously spending is with podcast equipment. That's it. That is
1: it. That's my only voice Look now. at the way his eyes just lit up. <laughs> oh, my God, your eyes just but lit up there. So that's
4: that is your best. Christmas present then. A Absolutely.
1: <laughs> of course it is. Um, however, it, you know, in the industry, well, especially like growing up in the nightclub industry, it's all fast cars and, right. you know, flash. You know, that's the perception of somebody that, you know, that is a nightclub manager or whatever. You know, they've got to have, like, so many people who have personalised plates on flash cars, wasn't for me. It, it wasn't for me. Do you uh, have but... a
4: personalised place, Steve? That's the no, question. No,
1: no. <laughs> um, however, obviously, you know, you work hard and, and, you, and, and you, know, you, you, you have nice things. But for me, when something goes wrong, and at that point, when something goes wrong in personally, whether that be health, whether that be relationships, whether that be anything, like, you know, family... It's them moments then where you just think all of this stuff means fuck all, absolutely fuck all. Because without that centre happiness, like without that love and without that health, it doesn't matter what watch is on your wrist because it's not gonna it's not gonna make you better. It's not gonna salvage anything. It's not gonna increase your happiness with your children it's not going to you know bring a someone that's you know ill back it's, it's not going to you know none of that stuff matters fundamentally when it comes to the you know the, the bottom line is that it is all about health and love isn't it so I've got my I've name. got my I've got my hippie head on there no but no it, it's no true,
4: that is so on point because i think i think there's a happy medium and there's a place as a happy medium for everyone, because obviously, it's nice to have something you want, whether it's something of value or not. But that's spot on. I think people, most people, and I certainly have come into stages into my life where I've thought none of it means anything if that one thing can't be corrected and right. Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah it is, and I, and that that's the the, the times when I've found myself kind of because as, as. You Know as we all are, we're, we're, we're all you know, all three of us are, are self employed people, uh, and and you can't help but just work and work and work, and and to say no to opportunity is very difficult, it's a very difficult thing to do because if you've started with nothing and all of a sudden someone's like, Can you do that? you just think, Yes, and then you just think, Oh, hang on a minute, oh no, no, no that's that's fine, that's fine, yeah, I'll do it. And then it's only when you know, because I've had times when, like, you know. My family's gone. Look, we ain't, we ain't seen you. Like, you know, what are you doing? And it's like, all oh, right, yeah, maybe I need to readdress the.
3: Then you realise they weren't complaining.
1: Like. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. No, but you know, there's there's been times when, you know, like especially you know working in the nightclub industry at weekends. You know, there's kids' parties and there's, there's all taxing, sorts of things. There's ta- oh, God, yes.
4: You need to be alert. Sunday clubs, yeah, kids' parties, you know, all, children. All like that. Massive social stuff.
1: And, and, you know, there's things where I just think, oh, I should have, you know, maybe got that, maybe I have got that a bit wrong. I don't know. But it is, it's when then things get addressed and brought to your attention, it's then you just think, oh, the other things don't really matter that much. You know, and obviously work does matter. Of course it does. You know, we all have to go to work. We all have to, you know, provide and, 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 and you know, and, 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 and pay our taxes and our bills. But, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, fundamentally, if you can, if you can tick over nicely and, and you're all safe and healthy, that's winning.
4: I think it's a matter of just also just, just checking up on yourself every now and then, isn't it? Mm. Making the time to check up on you. Definitely, um, because life has a way, particularly in this day and age, of just taking you in down this rat race, and, and you don't realise that. Oh God, have I have I just been on my phone for too long, answering emails, dealing with WhatsApp messages, looking for information, posting something? Have I just been doing that for too long? You know, and it's it's hard. It's it's it's, it's, it's it is difficult. It's challenging. It's challenging. I don't like the word difficult. It's challenging to. Mm to check up on yourself um but it's a good thing to do i think what's
3: good, uh, incredible about that book is it's easy to well it's not easy but, but you, you can, can have an epiphany and, and you can, can realize, realize where maybe you've you have you have lost sight of things in your own personal life like this uh, this gentleman has done but then to, to to say well okay i'm not just going to detach myself from my old world but i'm going to go back to it and say and help i think that's such an important part of that because it's hard to do that because he literally
4: dressed as a monk. He had all his hair (laughs) off literally. And he came back as a monk. So where he was suited and booted and he was the man you wanted at your drinks party or the man you needed around your table, you know, your Christmas table at some point in that day, he was, you can imagine people probably looked at him and thought, what the hell you've lost lost your mind. You've lost your mind, but he has been so successful in what he's doing. And his teachings are just... They're just incredible. Really incredible stuff. Wonderful.
1: Number one.
4: Number one. Right. Again, number one for me, and I'm just going to quickly mention... That obviously there's Rowanda Bryan, The Secret, which was published in oh, yes. 2006, and I read it. The Secret, yeah. and she did The Power. That that I think was was one of the mainstream books of our time that mm. probably popped up, and people thought, "Have you read The Secret?" Because yeah. all of a sudden people started talking about that. And then there was yeah. um, um, I've read a lot of um biographies and autobiographies, and Hillary DeVay um, Boulders Brass, My Story, published and read in 2012, was another good one, um, in terms of influences. But for me. Number one. Sorry, hey,
1: hi, Hilary Deval.
4: Yep, Hilary Duvay.
1: Where do I know her from?
4: Palex. Right, palex She she was on. You know her probably. Um, Dragons Den.
1: She was the one from Dragons Den with the shoulder That's pads. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. she
4: was big shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. She she was that one. Um,
1: very very was, working class.
4: Oh, loved her book. You yeah. you if you like reading books, her book. Is a, is a great book. It is so raw. Yeah. And it is so, um, you just feel the realness of what she's saying. You know, you, um, for those people that read biographies or autobiographies, some of them are so protected and they say the odd thing that thinks, oh, you know, that's interesting. But she just laid it bare. Fantastic book. I'd love to meet her one day. I think she's, a, she's worked incredibly hard um, and she deserves all the success she gets and um, great woman. But for me, the number one has to be Dal Carnegie. The Leader Who Had No Title. Now, I chose that book over his other books. He's got How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. He, he, he is, for me, that book is just, read it in 2010. And that, for me, really sunk in that you don't need to be called the director. You don't need to be called the CEO. That was my turning point with titles. The Leader Who Had No Title, because that book made me realise doesn't matter what you're bloody called yeah it's what you're doing yeah it's the work you're producing that really really matters and I got away from trying to become you know trying to chase the job with the title
3: yeah
4: and try to you know have a career that had that title to actually you know what focus on what I am actually doing make that great make this work great that's so cool I I think um,
3: some of us will pen. uh, They need you need. Some people get a lot of worth out of what they follow, what their job is, and what their title is. That's Mm. how they form their own identity. And to an extent, I think the actions within that role, like you say, are important. But the the title itself isn't. And I've had friends make themselves sick over their next career moves. Oh, just just over jobs over job titles. And yeah. This is the thing,
4: Chris, we're trying to, it's a natural, almost this book explains how it's almost a natural disposition to want to have a title. You seek recognition as Mm. a human being somehow in your home, in your workplace, you seek that recognition. But this book was key for me because for me, it just resonated that the title isn't actually what's going to get you recognised. It's what you're doing. Look at people like Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, um, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, Muhammad Ali. It's what they did, yeah. actually, their actions, what they produced that made them, you know, they've got a name. We've all, we've all got our own names. That's your title. Your name is you, and the, what you produce is the value, not your title above your door or your title on a business card. When most people say to me, you know, what do you do for a living? I just say, work in the legal industry. So what do you do? Well, I... I, I work in law and I don't actually like to say I own a law firm and I established yeah. it you know it just feels a bit I feel a bit cheap saying that now in my life and I guess that's years after reading that book but that's another great book for me. Do, do you think so, so
3: what how did that impact what you was doing at that time did it because I, I sometimes think when I talk about something, I lose the energy of actually doing it. And, and so, like, is it, is it, is it something that when, <laughs> when you... That is honest. It's like when, when I say, oh, I'm going to do that, it's like, why not just keep my mouth shut and do it? Because I'll put the energy into it. And she'll know that full well when I say, oh, I'm back to... Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that in a minute. She's like, you, you're not. You're not going back to go and post <laughs> on social media. You're going to go and do something completely opposite. But I guess if you, when you learn that lesson how did that impact you what did you do what changes did you make in I your tell life?
4: you the, the things that I and, it, and these things happen slowly because what the, my books have done to for me over the years is they sort of just plant little seeds mm. and then those seeds I start remembering them through my life in the in the weirdest times of my life during yeah. the weirdest actions I could be working out I could be going for a walk I could be doing something else and that that line pops into my head that's why I call them my mentors because they're always there for me in some shape or form but what that actually started to do for me in the months following that read was when I did keep my mouth shut about you know the whole title thing when I did keep quiet and do exactly what you said Chris I actually did something that made me feel so much more empowered yeah completely than talking about it then boasting about it, then trying to make people believe and see and recognize. and Because so much energy goes into that, I think, in our daily lives that that, that we don't realize that. But when I thought silence, you know that saying, silence is golden? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I started to experience that. And I have to say, in the last four or five years, I've practiced it even more because I'm more conscious of it. I'm becoming more conscious of it in my older age. So, um, and it feels brilliant. It feels brilliant to keep quiet, like with Get Legally Speaking, for example. I did, no one apart from my husband knew about Get Legally Speaking until people started working with me to put it on social media. My extended family, my friends, no one. And I, I feel good because I'm thinking I'm busy trying to make it work. I'm busy trying to get it to do what I want it to do, to give what I want it to give. Just keep quiet. So as people are contacting me saying, I, I saw you on, I saw a video with you on it. I, oh, I, I saw that you've done a, your voice is on a podcast and things like that. And I say, oh, thank you. And I still keep quiet. And I, it's, it's nice to kind of snigger to yourself and think, you know. <laughs> i like that that for me has given me far more happiness within me i feel for i feel like i accomplish more by being that way than screaming about title and i'm the director and you know and and trying to draw that recognition in for the title as opposed to working hard to concentrating on what you're doing and getting that out there that's really cool
3: it's Anyone can be a
1: director, can't they? You can be the director of anything. And, and,
4: <laughs> in 3.4 min- minutes, some company's house for about 2
1: <laughs> Exactly. And it's like, it don't mean shit. You know, you, you, should, be, you should be judged on, on, on what you're doing. And, and if yeah. you're doing something of, of worth that's good, then, then that speaks
3: far louder than any business card or email mm. signature. And also you don't need it to anymore. Because the truth doesn't make a sound. Like when you're when you when you're saying all these things, you're. I like that. Chris. It, the it, truth it doesn't. Make a it sound. doesn't. It's, it, you kind of you can use you can apply that in many ways.
4: But wise man, it, you know, you're a very wise man, Chris. I just, I just Wise, you, people, I just, wise uh, people say things like that. That's just, very wise. I'm going to write that down.
3: <laughs> but you can apply it in many ways. So you can the truth doesn't make a sound could be applied in the sense of say someone messages you because they can't make something. You, you had a prior engagement with them and then they give you 12 reasons why they can't make it. Guess what? Bullshit. If they message you and say, can't make today, I just can't make it. It's probably more, it's probably more feasible if they give you just one reason than if they reel off all these reasons. And I think in the sense of, in the sense of titles and deeds is, if you if you're doing something good and you're doing it because you want to do it, you don't really need to tell anyone else about that. And you know what? If you're doing it and it's effective, people are gonna find out about it anyway. So you're trying to take a shortcut by sometimes telling everyone or boasting about it. And and like you say about your um about the podcast and, and, and our friend Pip did this. When he when he started his music career, he went I'm and toured everywhere, everywhere other than, than really his hometown, hometown first. And because he wanted to get good before going in front of his friends. But if you just rely on your friends shouting about things, that's a big responsibility for them to constantly shout about it. And what they've got, they've suddenly your PR manager now, are they? Whereas if you're doing something good and that's where your focus is, it isn't strong arming your friends to constantly push you. People are going to find out about it. So, you know, you might as well just do the action and make sure it's sound and, spend less time trying to worry about titles or, you know, the trying to think hype, hyperbole around what you're doing. So, and yeah.
4: energy. Don't put your yeah. energy in about the title and, and all of that. Put the energy into the what you're producing. That's yeah. what speaks. But the truth doesn't make a sound.
3: Yeah. So next time your teenager says comes up with a reason why they couldn't do the washing up, you can just say... Truth I'm just going to say,
4: go and spend some time with Chris.
3: <laughs> You'll be the only person saying that. Hattie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Hattie. So um, in regards to um, Get Legally Speaking, um, obviously we'd love uh, all our listeners to go and check out the podcast. Where can they find out all about that?
4: So they can go to our website at getlegallyspeaking.com and also our podcast feature on all the major podcast channels, iTunes, Spotify, Apple iPods, Acast, it's everywhere. So they can also find it um, on largely on, uh, on podcast channels and it's all for free.
1: Wonderful. Hey, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Fun.
4: Thank you for having me. It's been really lovely. Should we Where do it again call? next Saturday? Just Hi. without recording.
3: <laughs> Think of another top five. <laughs> I've got a stack of ask. books to be
1: getting on with.
4: <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for making the time to have me on your show. Uh,
1: Lovely. So Thanks, loads.
4: Hattie.
1: Oh yeah. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts. You maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just... Turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social. Medias as well. PopBibleMag.com. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Joe present our core listing, the podcast.